you so much for giving us some of your time this morning as we celebrate the resurrection. Uh, this is weird, isn't it? Weird to be here. We're in a room navigating screens and internet, and this is all so we can, in whatever ways we are able right now, to make God known. So thanks for joining us, and if you're watching along at home and you do not have a church home, I want to offer Genesis Community Church to you. Uh, we are a people who are uh, broken by our sin, redeemed by Jesus, and grateful to be alive. Not just alive as in our hearts are beating, but alive as in Christ has died Christ is risen, Christ will come again, and through faith in Jesus, we have life. Easter sermons, I was sharing before we began, Easter sermons for me are always weird because resurrection always, uh, and, and so I don't know how to make always resurrection conversations unique, um, but it's never a bad time to tell the story, hear the story, and to engage in what we see in the scriptures as God has revealed. So we're going to be in Luke 24. Now I'm going to read one portion of the resurrection story, actually before we even get to Jesus. In the first 12 verses of Luke chapter 24, the Gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are four Gospels, Luke is our third uh, in order. Uh, in these first 12 verses, Jesus is risen, but we haven't seen him yet. He shows up after verse 12, but I want to go right to these first 12 verses where Jesus is gone and people aren't sure what happened. Luke 24, starting in verse 1, reads like this. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, listen to this, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered up into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women who were with them who told these things. To the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. They did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stopping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling, marveling at what had happened. Now, what I want us to think about right now is this odd part of our life. Where every church is closed. Every church building has no one in it except for the ones who are live streaming and except for a few uh, who are going, no, we will still gather. 
Had you asked me or had I asked you even two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, at least six weeks ago, not one person would be thinking, you know what? I bet on Easter Sunday, churches are empty. These are always, I mean, I mean, this is a little pastor hack. Everyone knows that like Easter and Mother's Day are like your high watermarks. And Mother's Day is inflated because you do child dedications. And so we do child dedications, more people show up. Easter, people go, we need to go ahead and fill these churches up. We need to go to church. I guess if we're going to do that, we should show up on Easter. And yet, what do we have this morning, Easter Sunday? But empty pews all over the world. People in homes, staying at home, because a virus has killed thousands of people. We can't see it. Don't know if we don't even have it at times. And this is now where we've been. Our expectation of what has happened or what would happen has certainly not been met. We all expected to be living lives here on April 12th. We expect to be living lives as normal, going about our business. Even in January, we would have projected that. Uh, we plan our sermons out in advance, and you look at the passage, and you kind of map it out, and you go, this is where it's going to be. This is where we'll be. This is what we'll be doing on Easter. This is how we'll be functioning. We did not think that Matt and I would be up here lugging a TV up the stairs and setting it up and figuring out cables and manning a Facebook computer and uh, software so we could see the screen. Like, this is... This is now our day. You didn't think you'd be at home? Curious how many of you still, even though you are at home, decided to dress up? Say, we're going to put our Easter best so no one can see us. This is our life. Nobody expected this. Nobody thought this was how it was going to be. Nobody thought this was going to happen. Expectations are a funny thing. Because if we don't actually evaluate our expectations through what God has said, then we actually miss out on what is true. That's what we're going to see today. As people head to the tomb and they realize their expectation was not met. It wasn't met because they weren't listening. They weren't following. They weren't, they weren't engaged. And so we need to change, this is the whole idea, the resurrection of Jesus and the truth of Jesus and what he has done needs to change us from the inside out. In these first eight verses, really even beyond, we're going to see how these expectations affect people. We'll go all the way into verse 9, but there's this kind of battle of our expectations of God Versus God's revelation of himself. So on the top is us. Always us. We think God operates in a certain way. We think God views us in a certain way. We think God thinks about us in a certain way. We think God knows us in a certain way. And these are all generally based upon how we think life should be. Often based upon our experience, right? Everybody has an experience. Everybody thinks, oh, this is how life is. This is how it goes. Well, from my experience, this is what it is. On the other side, we have God's revelation of himself. And what that means is the way God has actually said he is. So it's how we say God is or how we think God might be. And then there's how God said he would be. This comes to a crossroads at the tomb. 
And it always does when we have to contend with the reality of a risen Lord Jesus. Comes in a crossroads, and here's what I mean. You have women who are coming to the tomb, expecting to prepare a body. And you have a tomb with no one in it. This encounter happens any time people place their faith in Jesus. They thought God was one way. God has revealed himself as another, and they must contend with it. In fact, everyone watching, listening, be it now or in the future, has to contend with how God has revealed himself. So let's look at those first few verses. First, they approach the tomb with one expectation. The women who are there approach the tomb with one expectation, verses 1 through 3. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. Now, what does that mean? Well, Jesus was crucified on Friday. In the timeline, we're now on Sunday. He had to be buried so quickly they couldn't finish the preparation of the body. So these women, who were faithful and devoted women following Jesus, went to the tomb to continue to prepare Jesus' body. They came to tend to it. They assumed, even though they had heard, they assumed to find Jesus' body. They assumed that life would be as they expect, that when someone dies, they certainly don't resurrect. And so we can't think that God resurrects. It's impossible for God to resurrect. So they went and they took the spices that they had prepared and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Pilate had already said to the soldiers, let's go ahead and secure that thing real tight. We want to make sure nobody gets in. And so to show up to the tomb and find the stone rolled away is a bit peculiar. And then you read in verse 3, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. So they came to prepare his body, but when they went in to the tomb, they did not find it. I think many times, and in many ways, we approach God based upon what we would expect to happen. But God does not meet or match our expectations. He exceeds them. They come to the tomb in order to tend to Jesus' body, but Jesus was not there. They're still not exactly sure what's going on. But I wonder where perhaps you have approached Jesus with the wrong perspective or the wrong expectation on what he has said to be true because he did not hide his resurrection from people. All of us, though, all of us do this. We go, oh, God acts like this. God talks like this. God walks like this. God lives like this. This is how he is. This is what he treats. And so when we talk to our friends and we go, hey, how do you feel about the coronavirus? This is, this is really crazy. And he asks a question like this. Well, what do you think God, what do you think God is in all of this? What do people start to do? They go, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if maybe, maybe this is God punishing us, or maybe this is God uh, just trying to show us that he's kind of in charge. Maybe this is, and we kind of have, we just start to throw all these things to the wall, hoping that a reason sticks and a reason resonates, and we don't actually evaluate what's in Scripture. 
that we live in a sinful world that's in need of redemption. Can you believe that a virus reduced people's net worth by 30%, shut down the economy, keeps people at home, keeps kids out of school, causes people to lose their jobs? What does that scream? It does scream personal pain and personal struggle and personal turmoil, but you know what else it screams? This isn't the way it's supposed to be, and God knows that. Jesus died for that. But we're still so often dealing with God based upon how we think he should act that we don't actually go and consider what he has revealed, what he has said. And that's what we get to see in the following verses. After we, uh, they come and they don't find the body of Jesus, and they're still confused. Verse 4, while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men, these were angels, stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces, the women were frightened, bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, and listen to this line, why do you seek the living living, that would be Jesus, among the dead in a tomb. Why do you seek a living? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you? While he was still in Galilee. He hadn't even come into Jerusalem. While he was still in Galilee, uh, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, which is showing us that he himself is not sinful. The Son of Man, who's able to uh, have power and authority and honor, right? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they, listen to this, these are the women, and they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. They approach the tomb one way, they leave the tomb another way, and it happened because they had to contend with what God had said. You catch that? What God had said. Don't you remember that he said he would rise? He had to have been handed over to sinful men, crucified, and rise on the third day. Verse 8, and they remembered his words. How do you remember? There's all kinds of ways. We leave for ourselves sticky notes all over the place. Remember this, do this, live like this, say this. And so we write kind of all these reminders for ourselves. We kind of post them to the wall, and we think, oh, this is how what I have to remember. But it's so true. I mean, have you been kind of going through life right now, operating at one level, just kind of going, this is how life is? You don't have to go anywhere. I mean, the biggest thing you have to do is remember the milk, go grocery shopping, and so you're not going places. And your life is kind of unravel sometimes. You go, I don't even know what day it is. One of my kids said that even this week. He's like, I honestly don't even know what day it is. Uh, I usually don't either. What day is it? What are we doing? Where, where are we? What do we have to do today? Well, work from home, do school at home. That's kind of how it goes. And so we have this idea where we must remember, where we must see, where we must recognize 
who God is. I want to just give you a few statements about God that perhaps you have forgotten. Statements that I forget. Statements that we all forget. Here's one. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. What does this mean? It means that He is eternal. No beginning and no end. It means that He is sinless. Perfect. He came into this world. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for my sins, for your sins, for our sins. Because he knew, even in 2020, that a virus was going to disrupt life. He died even for that, to give us hope that this is not how life is supposed to be. He has not abandoned us. That he cares deeply about us. These are things that we forget in difficult times. But here's one. Here's one we should remember on Easter and remember every day that Jesus rose. On the third day, he rose again. What does that mean? That not even death could stop God. Not even death. If death can't stop God, do you think an illness is going to stop God? By no means. And yet what happens? We approach God and we think, oh man, I don't even know if he cares about what's going on in my life right now. I don't know if he thinks about this. I don't know if he's interested in this. I am not sure if, if he even knows I'm real or knows that I exist. I want to think he does. I tell you, he does. Jesus rose. And because he rose, we know. Life will be made whole. Life will be made good. And yet, what happens? We live our lives, day by day, moment by moment, as if there are things he didn't say, and there's things that we shouldn't remember. But they remembered his words. My hope and my prayer for everyone who is hearing the word and engaging at home in this right now is that you would remember the words of Jesus and not the words of friends and not the words of social media and not the words of the news and not the words of fear, and not the words of doubt, but rather you would listen to the words of Jesus. That you would remember the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus in his death for you, in his resurrection, and that through faith in him, you can have life. How can you remember? So many ways that we try to remember, and we still forget, don't we? We memorize scripture. We discuss in our community groups. We go to Bible study. We listen to more sermons. We, we read daily. We follow along, and yet still what happens? We forget, and the Lord knows this. And He still loves us. And He still died for us. Because it's not about our work, but about His. 
the fact, not the idea, the fact that Jesus rose means we can have hope in any situation. We can have joy in any situation. It could be death, it could be illness, it could be hurt, it could be pain, it could be sorrow, whatever it might be. We can have hope because Jesus rose from the worst possible human outcome. He conquered it. And so we can have life. We approach Jesus with one expectation, and this is really how salvation works. We think God is one way, God reveals himself as another, and we go, oh my gosh, of course, that's who he is. I must trust him. What does trust mean but to, to actually believe the things that he has said and to say, not my life, but your life, not my will, but your will, Lord, I surrender to you. And when that happens, we start to repeat the cycle again. And this is what we do then. We've gone to the tomb, and we've seen it empty, and we trust in the Lord. This is what happens, and this is what the women did. Tell the world that Jesus rose regardless of response. Once you have been changed by something, once you've been changed by something, you then talk about it with others. And you're not really that concerned about how others might view you, are you? I'll do this sometimes. I talk about my kids. I can talk about my kids all day. They don't want me to talk about them all day. They're probably already like if they haven't texted me yet to go, uh, are you done? Uh, this is boring. Can you stop? Nothing yet. Uh, I'm sure they will. I could talk about my kids all day. If you have kids, I'm sure you could do the same. If you have a job you love, you can talk about that. Some people are like, nope, could not do that. When you love something and something has changed you, do you have a hard time talking about it? When you find the coolest new uh, dieting idea or the best workout that you've ever done or you have found kind of the best new movie or the best new restaurant or the best whatever, what do you start to do? You tell people because it's changed you and your hope is that it changes them. But what else happens? You're not ultimately concerned about whether or not they follow it, because that's not for you to do, right? You go and you tell, regardless of the response. And this is what, this is what happens. Now, Jesus would have people, it wasn't just the 12 disciples, but he had kind of concentric circles around him of people who would tend to his needs, care for him, uh, disciples who would go out. So he had his 12. Within the 12, he had three, Peter, James, and John. Outside of that, he had over 70. There were over 300 in some spots. And there were these women who were with him, who were with them. And so we look at verses 10 and 12, and they're actually named. Now it was Mary... Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. The women went and proclaimed. And this is pretty cool. If you don't know this, I'm going to share. Uh, this is just a little truth about the Gospels. The Gospels have women coming to the tomb first, which is historical. We say, yes, that happened. But the other thing that is beautiful about this is in this time and in that age, uh, the testimony of women was not really admitted in court. And so for the gospel writers to all say without a doubt, these women were there. And this is what they saw. They're turning even conventional ideas from the Roman world upside down and saying we're going to take this testimony because it's true. Because Jesus said it was true. Jesus 
And the scriptures, because they're his word, right? They're always revealing truths that we don't even know existed. We don't even know we're there. And so the women go and they tell the other apostles, verse 11, but these words seem to them an idle tale. You know what that means? It just seems foolish. You're just telling me stories. And they did not believe them. Peter wants to go check something out. So Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stopping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what happened. Now, we might think that Peter marveling means, oh, he got it. It doesn't mean that he got it. It just kind of means he doesn't know what happened. Jesus was there. I know he was there. Jesus is not there. I see that he's not there, but I'm not really sure what happened. In fact, in the Gospel of John, if you go to that, you see how Jesus then reveals himself to John on the shore, or to Peter on the shore. And Peter's fishing, and Jesus speaks to him, and Peter recognizes it's the Lord. And so you see the cycle here? I'm just going to run through it. These women go to the tomb to tend to Jesus' body, because they assume he's not there, or that he is there. Jesus isn't there. They're told what happened. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Don't you remember? They remember what he said. And they go and tell others. But the others didn't hear it, did they? I'm sure if you're trying to convince somebody of something to be true, there's this part of you that wishes and longs for them to believe it. But at the same time, you say it and you tell the world because you know it's true. And you lead the response to the Lord. The cycle goes on and on and on again. And anytime you confront people, and I don't mean confront in like a combative sense, but you share with them the truth of Jesus, that he came, that he died, that he rose. When you share that, it always messes with your head, messes with our heads. It causes dissonance. It is confusing because that's not the way we see life working. And so this cycle of contending with an empty tomb and a risen Lord is something every single person has to deal with. For the believer, I would say this. Share what has been revealed. Share what has been revealed, even if you aren't sure how people will respond. I do grading at times for students, and there's this class where they have to uh, share their faith. And they often talk about their fear in sharing their faith because they don't want the person's opinion, or that person's opinion of them to be diminished. Friends, it's not diminished. And if something is diminished, it's their response to God, not their response to the friend. And this is a hard thing for us to recognize, is that the cross can be an offense. Because what it says is, you are sinful, you have need, and God has met your need. But in order to actually believe that, you have to remove confidence and trust in yourself, put it in the Lord. That's offensive. But you share this news. There might be opportunities given to you today, tomorrow, this week, next week, to show about, to talk to people about how your hope in the resurrection removes your anxiety and your own personal health. I was reading a story recently, a true story, it wasn't, a, it wasn't an idle tale as the apostles thought or the disciples thought. 
where someone said, uh, or someone was about to kill a man. About to kill a man. And he said in that, do me the favor. What kind of response is that? I mean, literally, a man was about to kill another man. And this man, who was about to be killed, was a believer, and he said, do me the favor. Share about your hope. Share about what Jesus has done. Because you've been transformed. Share what has been revealed in the Scriptures, even if you're not sure how people will respond. It is God with whom we must contend, not man. To those who are listening this morning and who have not considered the Lord, who do not consider themselves Christians, who have not heard this message before, this might be the first time that it's becoming real, this is what I would say to you. Investigate what you hear. Contend with what has been read. Look into the empty tomb as Scripture has revealed it and recognize your need for a Savior. Even if you don't think you'll be interested in the result. I want you to go to the Lord and go, okay. Okay, God. I don't think you're there. Show me. I am not scared as a pastor or as a Christian. And the people of Genesis Church, they're not scared either about you going to the Scriptures, even as a skeptic, and going, God, if you're there, show me. Because He is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. Christians are hope-filled people because the resurrection of Jesus has given them hope. There's nothing else we have. There's no other hope that satisfies. And you might be feeling, even right now, you don't know the Lord. You might be feeling as if things around you are eroding. You know who hasn't left? Jesus. You can trust in Jesus. To Him, in Christ the solid rock I stand. When all around my hope gives way, He then is all my help this day. Because it says, all other ground is sinking sand. But friends, the ground of the resurrection is not The cross that preceded that resurrection is not. Jesus is alive. And he is to be trusted. And he is to be followed. And he is to be obeyed because he is good. Better than anything else you could experience. And I want to pray for you right now that you would believe that. Let me do that. Heavenly Father, as a church... We ask that you would empower everybody to stand firmly on the resurrection, that you, God, would be our authority, that those who don't know you would trust in you. We're grateful for the work of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, and we pray it in his name. Amen. Well, guys, I miss you. We all miss one another.
I'm so grateful for what you have been doing and the ways that you've been caring and sharing and loving and supporting. Do not stop. Check on your neighbors. Talk to your friends. Talk to your family. See how they are. But most importantly, trust in the Lord. Have a happy Easter. Jesus is risen. He is alive. Trust Him. And have a great week.